This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone, thanks for listening. Influencing the influencers, decision makers, and policy creators who have great influence over our lives, community, and culture is important work. That's why Jerry and I venture to the Mackinac Policy Conference each year on Mackinac Island. It's been articulated, and rightfully so, that things only truly change because of relationship. I think that is true, and it's why John Rockefeller said, people skills is as purchasable of a commodity as coffee or sugar, and I will pay more for that ability than any other under the sun. Jerry and I go to the Mackinac Policy Conference to build and enhance our relationships with the influencers in our state. We want them to know and understand about food insecurity and its effect on children and our communities. And more importantly, we want them to grasp the idea that food insecurity can be solved with their help. We sat down with several influencers to talk with them about our work and theirs and how they intersect. Join us today as we chat with Jocelyn Benson, Michigan's Secretary of State, Dr. Michael Genord, the CEO of Health Alliance Partnership in Michigan, and Jenna Holmes, the Executive Director of the Michigan Community Service Commission. And before we get to those thoughts, Jerry and I have a few thoughts of our own about why we're here on Mackinac Island. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson and Dr. Phil Knight here with you from the Michigan Mackinac Policy Conference. I don't know why that's so hard for me. (laughs) Anyway. I'm not going to make any comments about the night before. Uh, yeah, none. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> I was well behaved. Thank you very much. Hey, Jerry, um, we've been coming up and doing uh, the show here for several years, and our partners, WJR, very gracious to us and, and help us facilitate this. And it's, it's a unique opportunity. Uh, and so talk to me a little bit about what you see as the value of us being here and specifically recording the show here. Well, I think, you know, being seen uh, is is important when you're trying to do big work, when you're trying to change the conversation, when you're trying to let people know how important something is um, and you're, you're there with them, you're with decision makers, the policy makers, the, the folks that are thinking about these bigger strategic issues. So recording the show here, getting guests on here who, who can really make a difference in this work. And we've seen over the years, you know, many of our guests have in fact made a huge difference in this work over time. And, and it's no different than, than this year with the guests that we've had to talk about why they've been committed to food security as a priority. It's not just about charity. It's about helping our community thrive. And being able to bring that message to decision makers here is a critical part of what we have to do, doctor, in terms of growing this movement and solving the problem. 
Right. You know, Jerry, we started the show this um, in January of 2022. It, it will, we'll be starting our fifth year. We will have completed four years of Food First Michigan. And um, for several of all more, I guess all four of those years, we've been here to record the show. And what I found is that if you're going to change the conversation, which is what we said we want to do when we started the show, change the conversation about food insecurity and how valuable that is and all the people that win when food security is created, then those people are here. They're, they're here on this, at the Mackinac Policy Conference, and it's an opportunity for us to have the conversation so we can change the conversation. And, of course, the recording of the show is just one way, being out on the porch, being at the events, you know, and, and, and we do get invited to participate in a lot of things while we're here, and the more people that get to know us, the more people say, hey, why don't you join us over here? And, and you know, that, that rubbing elbows, I know it's kind of uh, people talk about networking, but there's a lot of networking that happens, and, and it is an important part of the job, you know, to, to make sure that people have the information that helps them make the right decisions about the things that affect food security. And, you know, we've had bank presidents. We've had the, the leaders in health care and in several areas. We've had, you know, people from the government, both, you know, the administrative side and the legislative side, all engage in this. And when you look at the, the impact of that, just think about what we were able to do during the pandemic. We increased our ability to serve the community significantly by 47%, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds of food. And a lot of that was built on the relationships we have with people um, who've gotten to know us, who've gotten to trust us, who've been able to hear what we can do. And when push came to shove, made the call and said, we need you to do this now. And, uh, and I think it is all connected. Um, you can't always draw a straight line between networking and, and relationship building and a particular outcome. But you get a lot better outcomes overall if you're doing that kind of work. Exactly. Well, you know, some of the challenges we face in um, creating a food secure Michigan are rooted in policies. And, you know, only policy makers can make policy. Yeah. And right. so having the opportunity to uh, talk with them in a more uh, relaxed atmosphere, but not only that, it's having people like you just described who've been on the show who are having that conversation on our behalf of how we can create better policy in order to create food security. And there's a lot of conversation this year about the health of the community and how to improve the health of the community. And I don't think there's a better, more important place for us to be than in the middle of that conversation. We know how important food is to health. Yeah, you know, and it's just not what we think. There's, there's, there was this guy you might have heard of him, Abraham Maslow. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, who who developed the theory of the hierarchy of need, and it's really a theory of motivation. So, if your first basic level of need is unmet, you're unable to go to the next level of, of development and uh, attainment, so to speak. And that first level is, is really the, the basic needs of life, air, water, food. And until those needs are met, you're not able to think about 
success or more job, a better job or more education or more training or anything. You've got to meet those those needs, and and certainly uh, Abraham Maslow wasn't wrong, you know. And so I think a lot of our core philosophy about how we go about this work and why we named the show what we did. Right, food first. It's, food first. It's food first, and once that happens, hunger comes off the table. That one problem that captivates people's minds, hearts, life experience, now their mind is free from that toxic stress, and they absolutely can concentrate and find their next success. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, why hunger and why food first, another thing we say pretty front and center is it's so expensive not to solve it. Right. right, it creates so much cost down the road, and the emotional stress that you talked about, and the mental um, challenges that people have just dealing with their life are a part of that cost. But the the healthcare costs are enormously higher if you let people stay food insecure. The education costs are enormously higher if you don't take care of kids and make sure that they have enough nutritious food. And so, you know, we need, and we're here communicating with all of these decision makers just a reminder even it's not that people don't know it but it's good to be reminded that you know while we're trying to solve these other issues you know i i'll tell you there's a lot of conversation about what happened during the pandemic to education and and kids falling behind in terms of grade level and things like that well i promise you if you don't handle food security while you're handling the other remedial work that has to be done to get kids back up to grade level you won't make as much progress it's not that you'll make no progress but you won't make as much and it costs a a lot of money to do that remedial work. Sure. Now, why do we pay that money? Because kids are worth investing in, right? And that's what we believe about everybody that we serve. They're worth investing in, and it's it's really a less expensive investment to take care of this than to wait and see what happens if you don't. Yeah. So the the other calculation there I want to throw in, and we'll close out this segment is. If you don't make that investment now, particularly in kids, what's your workforce going to look like in 10 and 15 years down the road? Now you're really going to pay the price. And we talk about that a lot at this conference. I mean, the economic recovery, we talk about a healthy Michigan, but we also have always talk about the workforce, the need that businesses have, and also the types of jobs. So if you're not if a kid doesn't have enough food, what do we say? If they're not well fed, they'll never be well read. And so it really is an investment, not just now, but in their potential for 10 and 15 and 20 years down the road as jobs become available. Yeah, it's why investing in the safety net does more than just feed people today. Right. That is that is a key point in all of this. It does more than just feed people today. So it's good to be here with a lot of decision makers to be able to give these thoughts to them, to be able to reinforce things they may already know and need to be reminded of, but also to celebrate the commitments they've already made to help us in our work. Thanks, Jerry. It's great to be here with you. Jerry and I will be back in just a few moments. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org.
Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson here in the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island in the Detroit Policy Conference. Jerry, great to see you. Nice to be in person. Yeah, I mean, it's been a long time, so uh, great to be in person. And uh, even greater, you know what I'm going to say next. We've got an awesome guest, and we are so excited to have him with us this morning. And so uh, why, don't you, why don't you take us there? Yeah, so Dr. Michael Genord, welcome. Good morning. It's great to have you, and you are the CEO and president at the uh, uh, Health Alliance, HAP, Health Alliance Plan, correct? That is correct. Man, it's great to see you. Thanks for being here on the island, and thanks for being with us on the show. Yeah, great. It's, it is fun to be in person. It is, isn't it? It's been a fun week for sure. Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, and how you became the CEO and president at HAP. You know, thanks for asking. You know, I'm really excited as a physician that practiced in the community for over 20 years to be leading a health insurance plan as a provider-sponsored regional health plan with the Henry Ford Health System. So, you know, we serve over uh, 440,000 members here in the state of Michigan, and wow. we continue to bring resources and solutions to them to help them on their health and wellness journeys. Well, that's excellent, Jerry. You you've had some conversations with uh, with this with HAP, I believe, and and your work and integration of healthcare and food security. No question, they've been one of the early supporters and continuing supporters of Henry's Groceries for Health, which is one of the ways that we've tried to show that when you include food in a treatment plan for somebody who needs food either for their medication or for managing a chronic disease, you can get tremendously good outcomes, both in terms of cost and in terms of how patients feel, I mean, and that might not seem like really, but I mean, it's amazing when our drivers drop off the food for their next week. One of the biggest benefits has been that connection, that social connection between the people who are needing the food and, and giving them the food. So that's been really cool. But also, there has been some really good health improvements. So it's been a, a real win for both of us. I think we continue to learn, but we are tremendously grateful for your support and um, continued involvement in helping us learn how do we do this right. Yeah, it just makes sense. You know, when you look at someone's health journey, only 10, 20% is actually their physical genetics or, or thing. It's all of these things we wrap around them. And you're right. It's not only the food for food insecurity or managing their chronic. It's the social nature of connection and mm. people stopping by and seeing them. Right. Uh, social isolation is real. And, and so, um, you know, we're very excited with Henry's Groceries and we we're a big supporter there because it works. Right. Yeah, that oh, that's the bottom. That is the bottom line, and it makes a difference in people's lives and their quality of life. And it, it, I think it's just you know we like to think about well, who wins when we win? When food security is created in a home, in a community, then who are the winners? When you think about education, they win, mm -hmm. but the people win most of all. But healthcare. It, we'd, we'd like to try to make your job a little easier. Absolutely. Providing food keeps them out of emergency rooms, keeps them out of the hospital. You know, we have something called mom's meals. Um, and so anyone that gets admitted to the hospital with certain chronic diseases, we also, outside of the Henry's groceries and a wider, send two weeks of food to them. Um, and during the pandemic, we outreached to these people who had social isolation, and we are providing two weeks of food just to keep them healthy and out of the hospital. You know, one thing that that I 
always hearken back to when I think about Gleaner's journey in this relationship with healthcare. The first conversation we had was with nurses. And they would talk about how people would come in and they'd be admitting them or, or, you know, working with them in some kind of way. And the number of people that would get a prescription that would say, take with food, and they'd say, I don't, I don't have any food. Mm -hmm. And the nurses were just beside themselves. Like, how can we fix this? How do we solve this? And I will tell you that deep sense of care in the system about the people coming through the system is something that impressed me then and continues to impress me now. One of the most frustrating things I had as a physician was discharging someone from the hospital and you knew they were coming back because yeah. we were discharging them home to something we knew they couldn't be successful at. And food's one of those components. Sure. And you look at the number one reason for uh, Medicare Advantage people or Medicare age people being readmitted, it's food insecurity. Go and look mm -hmm. at their ref refrigerator upon discharge. If they don't have food in that house, they will be back in the emergency room in the hospital. Jerry and I did a presentation for the Michigan Association of Pharmacists a couple of years ago, right before COVID. And, uh, you know, that's how we date things now, before COVID, post COVID. You know, yeah. Hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, we're soon going to say post-COVID. We're going to be looking at pictures with our masks. That was COVID time. That's right, exactly. I long for that day, brother. So we presented to the Michigan Association of Pharmacists, and we shared with them something that uh, someone had shared with us, chief medical officer, and he said, they told us that almost 70% of prescriptions written say take with food or should, can take with food. And so, you know, that immediately was like, well, wait, what if they don't have any food? But then wait if they don't have any good, you know, like food that is healthy. Yep. Uh, it, it just, cre as you said, they're back, in the, they're back in the hospital. It just compounds the problem. So it seems like it'd be a little cheaper to fix it on the front end. Absolutely. And it's no surprise. Like I said, you know you're discharging these people to be unsuccessful yeah. to no fault of their own. Exactly. You know, the other thing I really like about it is you have to meet people where they are, and, and not everybody's ready to make the lifestyle changes they need to make to manage their health. Yep. I mean, obvious and, you know, probably as obvious as the sunshine, right? I remember telling my doctor when, when she was telling me I had to, you know, lose weight and exercise, I said, well, you might as well tell me to grow wings and fly to work because <laughs> you'll have about the same success, right? <laughs> but, but, there came a time when my A1C was too high, and I, my family has type 2 diabetes in its history, and the, it was either make those changes or take insulin. That, that, that's basically what it came down to, and so I was able to make some changes that have really been good for my life. Well, what I like about these programs where we're providing food as part of a treatment plan is we're enabling people at a time in their life when maybe it's the right time for them to make a different choice to actually be able to make that choice. And I think being present at the right time with the right kind of care, and, and you can't tell people, well, we're giving you this food because you're poor. It doesn't work. They'll turn it down. Yep. But if you tell them this is the food that's going to help you be healthy and they think of it in the same way as any other medicine they have to take, they respond well. And these are things we learn from being part of programs like Henry's Groceries for Health. And, and I, I can't say enough. I, 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 th I think the, the groundwork that we're building to really understand how to get people the right things at the right time so they can be empowered to do the things they need to do, it's, I, I, think, it's, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's approaching people with dignity, right? And at the time when they're ill and whatever, having that prescription pad that says food, 
it's equated to their other medications. Yep. Mm. It's not that you're poor. It's not that you can't. It's that this is an important component to your health and wellness, and, and we're here to help. And that's why I love the, the, the saying, you know, food as a prescription. Like, you know, it's as valuable as the insulin we're giving you or the blood pressure medication. And when we transform that discussion into that, it's not about poverty or it's really giving them another tool to be healthy. Another smart guy kind of said it that way, too. I think I I think he said food is medicine. Mm -hmm. Some guy named Socrates or something, (laughs) you know. So, so, uh, well... Dr. Denord, it's great to have you with us. This is just one quick segment that we wanted to record with you, but you know, we'd love to have you back and let's maybe peel the onions off of this topic with you some more and he- learn more about your background and, and, and the work that you're doing now to intervene, to stand in the gap for people who need more health and wellness in their life. Absolutely. Health Alliance plans committed to this. We're in many communities, the Gleaners, Henry Groceries, Hurley Foundation in the Flint area. We're committed to these uh, initiatives because they make sense and they work. Right. And it's compassionate and it's loving and it respects people with dignity. Uh, and that's what we're all about. So I'm really happy to be here with you. Great. I don't think I could end this segment any better. So I'm just going to say Jerry and I will be right back in a few moments. Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Jerry Brisson and I, we continue with the show here at the Mackinac Policy Conference and most excited for our guest, our Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson. I remember this show that you came over to the Fisher Building. This is one of the main things I want to talk with you about today. And that is how you had a dream Hmm. when you took office to empower people who were really not involved in the process. Mm -hmm. My, that dream has come true. Secretary of State Benson, welcome back to Food First Michigan. Thank you. It's good to be back. I really appreciated our our previous conversation and all the work that you guys have done through the pandemic. It's been really extraordinary. And yeah, you're right. It's been an extraordinary uh, time and the time since we've last seen each other and to to oversee an election where more people voted than ever before in our state's history. More people were engaged than ever before, and that's a great thing. For us and the families that we serve across Mm. Michigan, all of Michigan's 83 counties, Mm -hmm. This was a time of empowerment for Mm -hmm. them to take part in in the democratic process, to Mm -hmm. hear their voice. And then what I was excited about, then people who are running for office are going to have to look to them and and treat them as here is a voting block. Here is a group of people that are involved in the process that traditionally we haven't had to pay a lot of attention to. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a little bit of parallels from some of the things Mm -hmm. that, that... your office is in, is developing now that kind of parallels what you do, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're talking about the mobile uh, yeah. units that are yes. going out to reach people. And one of one of the philosophies that we operate with is you have to meet people where they are. Yeah. And there's so many people who are food insecure with transportation challenges mm-hmm. and other types of things that keep them from being able to come to a food distribution or to a pantry. Mm-hmm. And so mobile pantries is one of the, the biggest ways that we can reach those communities and get close to where people are as close as possible mm-hmm. to, to take care of some of those barriers, mm-hmm. right? And during the pandemic, there was no other way 
to reach people. Mm. Schools were closed, mm-hmm. you know, businesses were closed, right? It was mm-hmm. this time of, of people really battening down and, and not leaving their house. So, um, so we had to really ramp up the mobile solutions. And we know that you are in the process of ramping up uh, uh, some mobile efforts to, to reach people in, in your work. Yeah, well, I share that same philosophy. You got to meet people where they are. And I believe you got to bring government to the people. And I have that, sh- I try to apply that philosophy in voting, where it's really what we've tried to do and why we've seen higher turnout. We've made it pe- possible for people to vote from their homes through changes that voters themselves amended in our state constitution, uh, enabling absentee voting for all. Uh, so to say that also, we've we've taken that same philosophy to our customer service. How can we meet people where they are? Well, let's take our branch office services to where people are. And that's really the idea behind the mobile office, to actually create an office that every, you know, in a dedicated day every month is at this senior center, at this library in your community so that you know even if you can't get to a branch office on a given day that the branch office will come to you yeah it's phenomenal and uh and again trying to take barriers away from people to participate mm-hmm. and and get the things they they need i mean yeah. you know the the types of services that are provided through the secretary of state are things people have to have even yeah. if they have a car you yeah, have to have truly. those services and yeah. as someone whose tags have expired you know at least <laughs> once in my life <laughs> Being able to get there and get that fixed is important. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, it's one of the reasons why we've created self-service stations as well, where people can just go and get their tabs printed right away uh, and have them ready to go. Uh, but, it, you know, it's all about creating options for people that people can then choose the option that's most convenient for them, whether it comes to voting or doing service with the state. We think the same thing about food. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we have to help people where they're at, not where yeah. we wish they were. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and not, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution for everybody everywhere. Yeah. So we have to, as you said, customer service. We have to think of the folks that we serve and the families that we serve. Number one, they're worthy of investing in. Mm-hmm. So these extra efforts that mm-hmm. you're making, the mm-hmm. extra efforts that the food banks make, mm-hmm. these are... This is a way to communicate value mm-hmm. that this person, this family, you're valuable to to our society, and we want to meet you where you're at. Yeah, right. and you know we use food to do that all the time. Yeah, you know we communicate value to people by mm. if we have guests coming to town, we think, what can I make for them? Mm. You know, because mm. mm-hmm. we want to show them that we love them. Yeah. Or what restaurant can I take them to so they'll have mm. a really cool experience? Mm-hmm. So food and service. I think really helps people understand that they have worth. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And service really is about that, meeting people where they are, serving them. Uh, and, and as opposed to saying, you come to us for whatever, you know. And, right. and so we've tried to adopt that philosophy at the Department of State because we do interact with more citizens than any, any other department, save health and human service. And so that gives us an opportunity to also show that government can live that value as well. You know, the first time you came and visited us here on this show, we talked about the roles of the Secretary of State mm-hmm. and as a defender of democracy. Mm-hmm. Um, that show, um, I went back and listened to it to kind of prepare for your visit today. Mm-hmm. And, and what really grabbed my heart in that was to hear you say that then and know what you've been through mm-hmm. till today mm-hmm. tells me that this is really not about a job. Mm. It's really not about a career. Mm-hmm. It's really about a calling. Yeah. 
and a moment yeah. where that calling can really manifest itself in a great need. I talked last night at an event we did here about um, a quote that I have above my desk that was given to me when I was dean at Wayne State Law School that says, where your passion and the needs of the world align, therein lies your vocation, from Socrates. Mm. And uh, it was something that someone gave me long ago when I was making, a, when I became dean, And but it stays with me because it really captures, I think, what we all seek to do, you know, find our passion and find the needs of the world and then out of that build a, a, a career. Well, there's no doubt you're standing in the gap for people <laughs> yeah. um, that have not been empowered and now because of your efforts are empowered. Yeah. And we thank you for thank it. Thank you. It's an honor and it's great to work with you all and uh, really appreciate the ways in which you've you know, built a career and lives of service as well to people who um, are all better off because of it. Well, it's great to have you. She is Secretary Jocelyn Benson. She's our Secretary of State here in Michigan, and it's an honor to have you with us. Thank you. Anytime. Look forward to next time. All right. <laughs> Jerry Thanks, and I will be back in just a moment. So welcome back, everyone. We're here continuing the show at the Mackinac Policy Conference. And Jerry, it is a, a, a lineup of all-star guests and none more influential in how people serve in this state than Virginia Holmes, who is the director for the Michigan Community Service Commission. And what a friend you have been to us and our food banks through this entire public health crisis, Jenna. Thank you for being with us. Uh, we're gl so glad to be here. You have become a partner of ours, and we're just so impressed with all the work you do. So well, let's introduce you to our listeners a little bit and tell us um, who you are and how you became the director for the commission. Oh, thank you. Well, I start my story by actually saying I'm a small-town farm girl from northern Michigan, and actually on that farm is where I think I garnered a lot of my values of who I am. And so in small towns, as we know, in rural, what we do is neighbors help neighbors, and community are there when things are challenging. So throughout my life, my trajectory of what I have done is worked with youth. I've worked as administrator at a college. Um, I've done after-school programming, and then what led me to this position, actually, I was one of the individuals that during um, Governor Granholm's administration, she started something um, called Mentor Michigan. And I was one of the original um, council members on, on that. Um, so when it was time that the executive director position came available, um, my family said if there's ever one position that actually fit um, everything I had done and trying to look for, we say that we're people that help people help, um, this was truly the role um, and this time to step up and help. Well, you're passion for it is clear and we've been really grateful to work with you through one of the most challenging times in in food bank history sure. you know food banks are about a generation old maybe a little bit more than a generation and so this was one of the biggest mountains that we've had to help our community climb and not that it's over but but I think we've learned so much and I know part of the things we've learned has to do with how we've partnered to really reach people Yes, I agree. And um, when the challenge happened, as we all know, it was overwhelming. Um, and so it was time to look for those that we knew have been making tremendous difference already in our communities, and definitely the food banks were one of those. So and also reaching out to Phil was so critical for me, um, knowing as far as what he had done. And we had worked together, even actually in mentoring um, in the, his previous life, as far as what he had done, but also knew that he was just a true champion of people and knew he would figure ways 
to connect with you, Jerry, and others of what it meant to help the communities and what they needed. Well, we defined a friend as someone who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. And that's exactly what the, the Community Service Commission is encouraging people to do. Thank you for those kind words, Jenna. But, you know, there, this, this difficulty, this pandemic, this public health crisis, um, I, I want to be careful how I say this because there's been a tremendous amount of loss, yes. right? But out of that loss, it has given us the opportunity to discover things about ourselves we might not otherwise would have learned. Where's our capacity? Where's our ceilings? And you know, out of the out of evil, out of danger comes the the opportunity to be courageous. And you at the commission are recognizing some of the people across Michigan that are courageous. Tell us a little bit about that initiative. Yes, um, we began to realize and we knew before the pandemic that there were incredible things people did, but as you know, during the pandemic, we just saw heroism. People that were so, as far as what they were doing and trying to make impact and making such immense impact. A lot of times when we think about when there are needs, we start to stop and we plan and we look to see if we can get all the resources in place, but what did we all say? This was COVID time. <laughs> COVID time, you didn't have time for that, and so innovation and the heart and soul of Michiganders came through. So what we chose to do and we want to do is lift up those champions and we started a Heroes campaign, which actually we are announcing here today um, at the conference, which you're so excited about. Um, and the stories are just so inspiring and the goal behind it is to archive those stories and not forget what we went through, what we did together, but also inspire others to begin looking to see what is their hero journey. What is it that they could do um, to make a difference? So that's launching today at the Mackinac Policy Conference. Yes. Now this show, will, you know, will, it'll air a little after the, the policy conference has concluded, but there's a website people can go to, I understand, and yes. nominate yes. Michigan heroes. Yes. Yes, it's um, just as it sounds, Michigan MI um, heroesproject.org. So by going there, it's a very simple process. Um, a picture and then also telling us a story and then we work with the individual to see if their story is willing to be told. Um, but some of you may know also that what the commission does is we do something called the Governor Service Awards where the governor comes annually and helps lift up on a stage in a very pronounced way. The Heroes Project is a way for us to help tell all of those stories, just everyday heroes and also the champions that are out there. Um, and we think that some of those individuals will end up being Governor Service Awards members and awardees. That's fantastic. I mean, I, I have to say um, we, we do have so many stories throughout this time of staff and volunteers and people who really have gone above and beyond because they knew somebody had to, mm -hmm. right? And I, I'll just I'll just share an example. I won't give any names, but I'll share an example of, you know, when we when the schools closed and and the stay at home orders happened, we were an essential service, and so we were permitted, if you will, to to stay open and continue to do our work, and. But we lost all our volunteers in a second. I mean, and, and we use 50,000 volunteers a year, and that's just one food bank, right? When you right. add up all the volunteers that food banks use across the state, that number's twice that or more. And, um, and the people that were willing 
to come in and volunteer right at the beginning when nobody knew anything. They knew people were dying. They didn't know how they were catching it. They didn't know, mm. you know, can you catch it through the air? Can you catch it on surfaces? Do you, you know, I, you know, what are the risks? And and there were people right from the very beginning that's that were were saying, I, I, I I'll help. I know you need help, and I'll help. And I just want to say. The opportunity to capture that for you know history's sake. Yes. I mean, this is going to be something that our that our grandkids and and great grandkids sure. read about. Yes, you know. So I just really appreciate the the you know calling attention to this and really honoring the many people that were willing to put their life at stake, really, yes. for the sake of the community. Yes, I agree, and um, you know I love that as well. I'm married to a physician. Um, and as a family physician, he saw, just as you said, um, it was kind of like the call to duty um, of what that meant and how. So the beauty of this is we're honoring both volunteers but also individuals in their workday life that had to make those decisions. Um, and we know that they are individuals also that stood up in a way that is beyond what one would have expected out of them and their position and put their life on the line, as you said. Um, and again, seeing that and seeing him live through that um, and what that meant for he and his patients um, was an awful lot. Um, and so there's so many that have done that. And so, again, we thank them so much. She's Jenna Holmes. She's the executive director for the Michigan Community Service Commission. And she once again proves to us that not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> Time for a little food for thought. Miles Monroe said, leadership is the capacity to influence others through inspiration that is motivated by passion, generated by vision, produced by a conviction, and ignited by a purpose. And that's why we're here on Mackinac Island to ignite people's passion about our purpose. And that is putting and keeping food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.